For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. All things, worms and monkeys and spiders, plankton and tulips and clouds, stars and angels and human beings, principalities and powers, and those things we have neither seen nor heard of, things beyond our ability to comprehend. All things on earth, in heaven, all things, all things reconciled to God through Christ In Christ, God made peace with all things. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, all things were reconciled to God. All things. Imagine that. The vision of Isaiah, it turns out, was not just the result of poetic license. It's not just human beings being saved or reconciled or redeemed. The wolf and the lion, the lamb and the kid, the cow and the bear, the nursing child and the snake, these, it turns out, are not included in Isaiah's poetry in order to paint a pretty picture or to create a metaphor substantial enough to communicate God's work of redemption. No, they are included if Paul is right, and we do count on Paul being right. They are included in Isaiah's poetic vision because all things will be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. In fact, we know that all things already have been reconciled to God through Christ, just as our salvation has already come and yet remains in many ways still to be fulfilled. So the reconciling of all things to God has already happened and yet awaits its fulfillment. As Paul says elsewhere, since that day, the whole creation awaits with eager longing the revealing of the children of God. And the creation will along with us be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The work of God is so much bigger than we can imagine. We are naturally most interested in what that work means to us. We're most interested in what will become of us in this process of reconciliation and what will become of those that we love and care about. And so we naturally focus our attention on the saving of human beings, the reconciliation of humanity to God through Christ. And we can, with biblical and theological warrant, rightly say that at the center of God's redeeming purpose is the saving of humanity and its reconciliation to God through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what we cannot do is stop there. We cannot stop with human redemption and act as if we're all that God loves, cares about, wants to heal, and is intending to redeem. I mean, Scripture does teach us from Genesis all the way to Revelation that God's intention has always been to reconcile all of humanity to God. The special relationship between God and Israel was all about the healing of the nations. And the same is true of God's relationship to the church. We're not the only ones God cares about. And we are to bear witness to the hope we have in us, hope for the whole world. And so we do what we can in our words and in our actions to reveal the truth of Jesus Christ, which includes, Paul tells us, the truth that whatever happened on the cross was for the whole world. And not just for the human world, but the whole of creation, all things in heaven and on earth. The gospel, it turns out, is much bigger 
than we ever imagined. Thanks be to God. This fact that, that God's reconciling purpose extends to the whole creation ought to shape our worldview and our world care. If we take Paul seriously and Isaiah before him, we have to reckon with the fact that God created and loves and sent Jesus to die for the sake of all things. Which means, I think, that just as we try to see our neighbors and our enemies, as Christ does, with redeeming love, so we ought to see the created world, as God does, with redeeming love. Our care for the earth, for the whole creation, for all things then is not a political position, though it may have political implications. It is instead, it is instead a theologically grounded care, a theologically grounded care, a care rooted in our belief that what Isaiah and the psalmist and Paul say is true, that God created and loves and has reconciled and will one day redeem all things in heaven and on earth. For Christians, then, the earth and its creatures are not here to be ruthlessly exploited for our benefit. The sea is not our dumping ground. The trees are not just our firewood. The animals are not just objects to be eaten or for our pleasure or sport. We are called by God to care for the creation, to take care of and protect its inhabitants, to treat with respect its beauty, and always, 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 to give thanks for all that we receive from it. And with the psalmist, we understand that every rock, every flower, every tree, every mountain, every whale, every cloud has been created to give praise to the Lord. And in that understanding, we are drawn into that same chorus of praise. For the beauty of the earth we sing. Lord of all, to thee we raise this our hymn of grateful praise. This is not just pretty poetry. It's a theological commitment. It's a theological commitment based entirely in our scriptural witness. And so we not only sing, we act to express our love and gratitude for the gift of creation. And part of that love and gift and gratitude is, I believe, caring for the gift itself. We've already heard from our congregation's creation care committee. It seemed obvious to me that they have a lot of fun. Um, we've already heard from them how we are working to care for and, and love the gift of creation here in our congregation. We've heard the commitment required to give that care. And we've also caught, I think, a glimpse of the joy to be found in that caring. It's joy-filled work because, like other acts of witness to the gospel, it, it has us moving in the direction of redemption. I mean, creation care has us walking toward home. And so we'll want to continue to stay tuned for further initiatives, new dreams, new visions for how our congregation can deepen its care for the gift of creation. For my part, I thought I'd use the sermon this morning to emphasize the gratitude, the giving of thanks, the joining in in this creation-wide chorus of praise declaring the goodness and the greatness of the Lord. And I'd like to invite us into that chorus by reading some poetry. I've tried to select some poems that are reasonably clear and easy to listen to from a variety of writers, both ancient and modern. And so for this part of the sermon, I invite you to assume your best being read to posture. Relax, close your eyes if you can stay awake, enter into the wonder of lovely and just right words all strung together in ways which celebrate the gift of God's creation. Some of these poems are joyful, some are somber, some are explicitly religious, others are barely so. Some were written intentionally 
to draw us into the creation-wide chorus of praise, others for the sheer joy of writing, and others for, well, who knows. Some celebrate our place in creation. Others bemoan what we human beings have done to dishonor the gift. Some see in nature the very hand of God. Some see beauty. Some, well, you figure it out. I thought about um, interspersing little comments between the poems, but decided that they'd be about as welcome as whispering during a movie, interrupting the beauty with superficial comments, instead of telling you how lovely is the sunset or explaining the beauty of the picture being created, I decided to just let the words, the images, the sounds speak for themselves. And if we want to, we can dissect them later. So, in an effort to be drawn into that creation-wide chorus of praise, I invite you to listen to these voices, tenors, basses, altos, sopranos, men and women, old and new. Listen and open yourselves to the joy of celebrating God's generous and wonderful gift. God Must Like to Laugh by Helen Caswell. God made the world, the heavens too, and night and day and me and you. But along with big things like the sun, God must have had a lot of fun attending to each small detail. The fragile shell upon the snail, the flowers fitted to the bee, and little bugs too small to see. The camels and the kangaroos and Things you only see in zoos, the penguin and the platypus, the monstrous hippopotamus, the wondrous webs the spiders spin, the way cats purr, the way dogs grin. And just because God took a notion, we have whales spouting in the ocean, we have the llama and the shrew, the green bullfrog and peacocks blue, and snakes and bats and all those others that only God could love, or mothers. How could God think up all these things? The different song that each bird sings, the cockatoo and crocodile, I think they must have made God smile. It must have been the way God played. And when at last they all were made, from tiny gnat to tall giraffe, I wish I could have heard God laugh. Genesis chapter 1, verses 29 to 31. God said, see... I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that God had made. And indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Pied Beauty by Gerard Manley Hopkins. Glory be to God for dappled things, for skies of couple color as a brinded cow rose moles all in stipple upon trout that swim, fresh fire-cold chestnut falls, finches' wings, landscape plotted and pieced, fold, fallow, and plow, and all trades, their gear and tackle and trim, all things counter, original, spare, strange, whatever is fickle, freckled, 
who knows how, with swift slow, sweet sour, a dazzle dim, he fathers forth whose beauty is past change. Praise him. I sing the mighty power of God, Isaac Watts. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The earth shines full at God's command and all the stars obey. There's not a plant or flower below but makes thy glories known. And clouds arise and tempests blow by order from thy throne while all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy care. There's not a place where we can flee, but God is present there. Philosophy in Warm Weather by Jane Kenyon. Now all the doors and windows are open, and we move so easily through the rooms. Cats roll on the sunny rugs, and a clumsy wasp climbs the pane, pausing to rub a leg over her head. All around, physical life reconvenes. The molecules of our bodies must love to exist. They whirl in circles and seem to begrudge us nothing. Heat, Horatio, heat makes them put this antic disposition on. This year's brown spider sways over the door as I come and go. A single poppy shouts from the far field, and the crow, beyond alarm, goes right on pulling up the corn. From the Friendly Book, by one of my favorite poets, Margaret Wise Brown. I like stars. Yellow stars, green stars, red stars, blue stars. I like stars. Far stars, quiet stars, bright stars, light stars. I like stars. A star that is shooting across the dark sky. A star that is shining right straight in your eye. I like stars. I like bugs. Black bugs, green bugs, bad bugs, mean bugs, any kind of a bug. A bug in a rug. A bug in the grass, a bug in the sidewalk, a bug in a glass. I like bugs. Round bugs, shiny bugs, fat bugs, buggy bugs, big bugs, ladybugs. I like bugs. I like people. Glad people, sad people, slow people, mad people, big people, little people. I like people. And because we needed at least one Mennonite poet... First Bird by Julia Kasdorf. The first bird that sings, sings for all birds, even when she stands for nothing but herself, a dun-colored finch on a dogwood branch. No telling what a bird knows, if this seems the first time light glowed on the horizon, or if she thinks her beak alone has pierced the night. We know nothing can be whole, that hasn't been torn. There is no holy thing that hasn't been betrayed. The way notes once forced into her tiny throat come out this dawn as song 
Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise God in the heights. Praise God, all his angels. Praise God, all his host. Praise God, sun and moon. Praise God, all you shining stars. Praise God, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for God commanded and they were created. God established them forever and ever. God fixed their bounds which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for God's name alone is exalted. God's glory is above earth and heaven. God has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all God's faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. All Creatures of Our God and King, by Francis of Assisi. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice, and with us sing, Thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, thou rushing wind that art so strong, ye clouds that sail in heaven along, thou rising morn in praise rejoice, ye lights of evening find a voice. Dear Mother Earth, who day by day unfoldest blessings on our way. The flowers and fruits that in thee grow, let them God's glory also show. Let all things their creator bless, and worship God in humbleness. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit. Three in one. Annuals by Denise Levertov. All I planted came up, balsam and nasturtium and cosmos and the marvel of Peru. First the cotyledon, then thickly the differentiated true leaves of the seedlings. And I transplanted them, carefully shaking out each one's hair-fine rootlets from the earth. And they have thriven, well-watered in the new-turned earth, and grow apace now. But not one shows signs of a flower, not one. If August passes flowerless and the frosts come, will I have learned to rejoice enough in the sober wonder of healthy green leaves? The Dream by Wendell Berry. I dream an inescapable dream in which I take away from the country the bridges and roads, the fences, the strung wires, ourselves, all we have built and dug and hollowed out, our flocks and herds, our droves of machines. I restore then the wide branching trees. I see growing over the land and shading it the great trunks and crowns of the first forest. I'm aware of the rattling of branches the lights and channels of their bark, the saps of the ground flowing upward to their darkness. Like the afterimage of a light that only by not looking can be seen, I glimpse the country as it was. 
All its beings belong wholly to it. They flourish in dying as in being born. It is the life of its deaths. I must end always by replacing our beginning there, ourselves and our blades, the flowing in of history, putting back what I took away, trying always with the same pain of foreknowledge to build all that we have built, but destroy nothing. My hands weakening, I feel on all sides blindness growing in the land on its peering bulbous stalks. I see that my mind is not good enough. I see that I am eager to own the land and its men. I find in my mouth a bitter taste of money, a gaping syllable I can neither swallow nor spit out. I see all that we have ruined in order to have, all that was owned for a lifetime, to be destroyed forever. Where are the sleeps that escape such dreams? Romans 8, 18 to 25. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience and with all confidence. For we know this to be true, for in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. All things, all things, you and me, and sisters and brothers around the world, those we've met and those we haven't, and those we never knew existed through time and history and every other living thing together with us drawn into the reconciling work of God in Christ Jesus. No stone left unturned, no death left with the last word. Instead, through the cross of Jesus, a coming redemption far bigger and deeper and broader and wider and more powerful than we can imagine. The reconciling of all things, all things, all things on heaven, in heaven and on earth. And so we do join in the creation's chorus of praise for sisters and brothers. God's work in Christ is very good. Very good. And so it shall be for all things forever. Amen. Amen.